Well, Chris and I are starting a new series this weekend that we're calling Relationship Games because it seems like there's a lot of games that we play in our closest relationships that really are destructive. So we're going to be having some fun with some of these classic board games to illustrate some relationship-changing principles because it's just so easy in our closest relationships to get stuck in a vicious cycle of destructive games. So in this series, we're gonna look at some of the biblical principles that can rescue your relationships out of these unproductive and destructive patterns of relating so you can take your relationships to a whole new depth of unity and connection. How many of you have ever played the classic board game, Trouble? Has anybody ever seen this before? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of my favorites as a kid, and it's been around a long time, so I'm surprised if any of you haven't seen it before. It came out in 1965, and it was a huge hit because it had a radical new way to play a game, which was the Pop-O-Matic bubble. And you know, that pop was just addictive. You just wanted to keep on popping it. And the way you played the game is that players could cause big trouble by landing on their opponent's piece. And when you landed on your opponent's piece, you sent them back to home. And so, so often you get, you try to get all four of your pieces around the board first, but you'd be just about to get that last piece into home and then boom, trouble would hit. Your opponent would you know, hit the right number on the Pop-O-Matic bubble and knock you back to home, all the way back to start. And in our closest relationships, Everything can be going smoothly. You think you're just smooth sailing, about to really, you figured out this relationship thing, and then boom, unexpected trouble hits, and it steals our joy, and it causes a loss of close connection. But it doesn't have to be that way. So I want you to open your Bibles to John 16, It's a short key verse today, but... It's so important. Would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us through our satellite campuses, everyone worshiping with us through our online campus and our broadcast ministry around the world, wherever you are, from the Woodlands to the world. We're one church. And so I know that there are thousands of you right now connecting with us. Um, and maybe you're not in our buildings, but you're still connected. Maybe you're on the other side of the world. And that's okay, as long as you're connected. And I love, we love seeing you guys' faces here at our campuses, um, but the point is be connected, stay connected during this time. And so look at John 16, where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Dear God, we thank you that you have overcome any problem that we face and that you care about every problem that we face. And so it's not just, Lord, that you care, but you have the power to do something about it. So we commit, Lord, as we start this series, to pray for you to do something miraculous in every relationship, that you would intervene and bring healing to deep wounds, that you would intervene, Lord, and, and bring broken relationships back together, that you would heal hearts and lives in a powerful way, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to notice that Jesus in this passage didn't say, in this world you might have trouble, or in this world there's a good chance you'll have trouble, or in this world it's 50-50 you're gonna have some trouble. 
No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Count on it. Expect it. There's going to be trouble. And he was saying, in this world, you will have trouble. And in your relationships, you will have trouble. Folks, you're going to have some trouble in every close relationship. In marriages, there will be trouble. You know, in the parent-child relationship, there's going to be some trouble. In close friendships, there will be some choppy waters at times because you're going to have some trouble. In every close relationship, you're going to have trouble. So just expect it, count on it. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He was saying, I want to give you both the strength and the wisdom to overcome whatever problem you're facing in your relationship today. In fact, he wants to take you from trouble to treasure. And the most amazing thing is the area of your relationship you're having the most trouble in is the very area that God can use to take you to a deeper connection. The trouble you're having is really the X that marks the place where the treasure is. You just gotta dig into it, and without the trouble, you would never discover the treasure of a deeper connection. It takes trouble to wake us up so that we'll start digging deeper and working toward a a deeper connection in our close relationships. Now, trouble can lead to treasure or trouble can tear you apart. It depends on what you do with it. And the problem is there are a lot of relationship games that are classic relationship games in relationships that are really destructive and sabotage close relationships. So we're gonna talk about some of them. Now, Carrie and I have been married for almost 37 years, and we have made just about every mistake in the book when it comes to communication and relationships. So we uh, want to share with you um, as fellow travelers, um, because there are a lot of things that we have learned along the way, the hard way, and we hope you can learn from our experience. One way that we have started to play a game through our relationship and we had to call it out was something called the blame game. Have you ever played the blame game where a trouble shows up, a problem shows up, and the first thing you do is start to search around to try to find somebody to blame for it. Try to find a reason that it's not your fault. It's anybody else's fault. Maybe the fault of circumstance, but it's certainly not any fault of your own. This one we learn early on because if you want to see it in action, go to any preschool and you will see the blame game going on. Two kids are pulling on a toy and it breaks and one of them says, they did it, they started it, it's their fault. And as adults, we keep on doing the same thing. We always want to abdicate our own responsibility and find a reason why we are not to blame. And in John chapter nine, we have the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And Jesus and his disciples are walking down a road and Jesus sees this blind man. Well, the first thing the disciples do is they say, who sinned? Who sinned, teacher? Was it this man or his parents? They didn't jump in and care for this blind man as see him as a hurting fellow human being. They didn't reach out in care or compassion. The very first thing when they saw a problem, a situation, they asked a theological question and said, So whose fault is this? Who's to blame here? You know what Jesus said? He said, guys, 
you're asking entirely the wrong question. In essence, he just said, you're missing it. You're missing it completely. Because his answer to the disciples was, neither this man nor his parents sinned to make him blind. This is happening. This is in his life so that the work of God can be shown through his life so that his life can shine and my power can be revealed. That was the reason. And Carrie and I have started to see troubles. When trouble shows up, we've learned to see opportunities. We see it an opportunity to get to be closer, an opportunity to see, instead of blaming each other, asking, wait a minute, what is God doing here, and how can we get on board? Well, the second game that we've played is hide-and-seek. And this is a game that marriages play each and every day, and it's a destructive game, but it comes out of a real desire that's good, and that is for connection. The, the hide-and-seek game comes out of a fear of losing connection, and usually one spouse hides. You know, when a tough issue comes up and emotions rise and there's conflict, they kind of withdraw because they're afraid they're going to make it worse. They're afraid of losing connection. They're afraid they're not going to have what it takes to really make this work. And so when one begins to hide and withdraw, the other starts seeking. But usually it's a heat-seeking missile where they start attacking the person who withdraws. Why? Because they're afraid of losing connection. They're afraid of being lonely emotionally and not having a connection. And, and, and so they begin to, in fear of losing connection, attack the other person. And all the hider can really hear is, you're a failure. You're not doing it right. And all the attacker can really feel is, I just desperately want you to engage and connect with me. In her book, Created for Connection, Dr. Sue Johnson calls this the demon dialogue. And you've got to recognize, she says, the only way out is you've got to recognize when this spiral starts to happen. And then you've got to recognize that it's because both of you are fearing losing connection. And when the hider can understand that the one who is attacking is really doing that because they love and they want that connection. And even though it comes out totally wrong, it's out of that real caring and wanting connection and fearing losing connection. And if the attacker then can realize the one who's withdrawing is afraid of losing connection and doesn't know how to handle it and doesn't know what to do, and then they can both stop it in its tracks and then realize that they have to be vulnerable and talk about what they really need. And that begins to change the dynamic. But hide-and-seek is one of the most destructive and common relationship games, but God can turn it into deep connection. And another game that we play is kick the can. Most relationships have a few hot button issues that if you bring them up, you can be sure that emotions are going to run really high. And so a tactic that we start doing, a game we start playing to avoid that conflict is to kick the can down the road. What it looks like is that we have this unspoken agreement not to talk about issues that are really hard for us, that always bring up a lot of emotion. We just have this unspoken ceasefire where uh, you, know, you don't mention that thing that, uh, that I do and I won't mention this thing that you do. But the trouble is that that never works. The longer that you avoid deep problems and deep issues, 
the bigger they become, the more bitter you become. And they never fade, they just fester. That's why it's so important to find a new way of dealing with these kinds of issues. And again, we can follow the example of Jesus because Jesus never skirted any issues. He encountered all kinds of trouble and problematic situations in his life on earth, but yet every time in scripture, we see Jesus confronting people, going straight to the heart of the issue. He didn't go around it, he didn't go under it. He just went straight to the heart. And one thing that Jesus always did that I've noticed in scripture that's so interesting to me is that he asked questions. Now, if the God of the universe is asking a question of you, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants us to clarify in our own hearts, our own motives, to really seek deeply and think and seek to understand what's really going on, to get below the surface issue or the surface problem. So Jesus would ask questions like, well, who do you say that I am? Do you want to get well? Why are you so afraid? And on and on, he always would ask questions. And so that's something that Carrie and I have learned from just seeing this example in scripture is that when we have a tough issue, instead of kicking the can down the road thinking, I don't wanna deal with this right now, we'll just put it off. Instead of doing that, taking the time to ask each other questions and it's an opportunity to really understand each other. And so we wanna help you break out of this cycle of these destructive relationship games. And we constantly fall back into these games and have to recognize it. And then we turn to God's word to break out of it. So uh, let's look at how you go from trouble to treasure. We're gonna do a little study of Ephesians chapter four today. In Ephesians 4, 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so I want you to focus on the phrase, the unity of the spirit. That's the goal in a close relationship, to have unity of the spirit. Not uniformity, which means you agree on everything. You'll never have that in a close relationship. If you do, then someone's really lying and it's a superficial relationship, uh, but it's two people from different backgrounds, different personalities, different needs, different desires, coming together and having unity. Unity spiritually, unity emotionally, and in the marriage relationship, also unity physically. It's not uniformity, it's unity. That's the goal of a close relationship, to have that unity. And then focus on the phrase, make every effort to keep the unity. He's saying it takes work. It takes a lot of work. You gotta make every effort to focus on unity and to really keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there are four principles from Ephesians chapter four that really show us what to work on to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the first is to face your troubles with truth. Ephesians four, verses 14 and 15 say this. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. Our family loves to play board games. And a big reason for that is our son-in-law Jordan is great at this. And when our family gets together, he often brings a board game, a new board game, and takes the time to teach it to all of us. He is incredibly patient. There are usually a lot of details, a lot of variables, but he takes the time to teach us how to play the game. 
And as we all sit down to have fun, and he's explaining everything, handing out pieces, describing what each piece does, I'm listening for one thing, and one thing only. I'm listening for, how do I win? How do I win? What's the goal? Where am I headed in this? Just tell me how to win. Is it I need 16 points? Is it I need to get the most real estate on the board? What is the goal? Tell me the goal because I need to know that. It will affect every decision I make while we sit down and play this game. So I'm listening really closely. How do we win? And in this verse that I just read, Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, you want to go back and read Ephesians 4 sometime this week because it's, there's just so much there. But in these verses, it tells us how to win. It's one place. There are many in Scripture, but it tells us how to win at life. God wants you to know. He wants me to know. How do you win at life and relationships? And so what it says is that we are to grow up in all aspects to become like Christ. Our goal is to be like Christ. That's the whole goal here is to be like Christ, to be transformed and become more like Christ. And the first thing that it says to start with, the baseline in this verse, is it says we are to tell the truth in love. Baseline relationship goal is to tell the truth, learning to tell the truth in love. How would you define winning at life? Most of us might have some kind of number. Uh, maybe it's a number of uh, kids you want to have. Maybe it's a number, amount of money you want to have in the bank. Maybe it's a certain level in your career path. But this is how God defines winning at life. He defines it as becoming like Christ. This understanding will revolutionize your marriage and your relationships. I know it has for Carrie and I. When we finally realized that the goal of marriage was not to make us happy, it was to make us holy. That's the goal of our relationship, is to make each other holy, to help each other become holy, to become more like Christ. And seen that way, every trouble is an opportunity for spiritual growth, to become more like Christ. It's not fun. It's the hard stuff. I don't know about you, but I have never grown through a really easy period of my life. When things are smooth sailing, I tend to just coast. But when things get tough is when I hit my knees. When I realize I have to change, when you have a relationship issue and you have to get to the place where you're willing to admit your own mistakes and take responsibility for the things that you've maybe contributed, that's where growth really occurs. So we've learned a few things about this truth-telling that are very practical that we want to share with you, and they apply to marriage, but also to any close relationship that you have, whether it's a family or a friend. And that is, first of all, to just not manage truth. Truth is not ours to manage. I don't get to manage Carrie's truth, and he doesn't get to manage my truth. That means we have to become truth-tellers, full truth-tellers. We tend to judge ourselves by our motives, but we judge others by their actions. And it's very easy for Carrie and I to start judging each other's actions, but under, just have an understanding that, yeah, but when I make a mistake, I had a good reason for it. Instead, we've just learned to tell the truth flat and plain to each other um, all the time, really to call each other out on this. That means, of course, telling direct, truthful answers, completely truthful to any question, because those white lies are really easy to start telling. And we think, well, they know what I meant. But instead, being very direct and truthful, it also means telling the whole truth. So if we're discussing an issue, we 
have agreed that we are both obligated to contribute everything that we know of relating to that issue. We don't try to keep anything in the shadows. The Bible says that Jesus is the light and he is truth. And so Carrie and I think of this as bringing everything into the light and standing in the light, always being completely truthful, completely plain, not leaving anything lurking in the shadows that we haven't discussed, but dragging everything into the light. And then it also means proactive truth-telling. It means that if one of us has something to share that uh, would affect the other one, then we will be the first one to talk about it. We won't wait to see if they ask. These are very practical details, but we found that they make a huge difference. I suggest that you find a time when you're not in the middle of a big argument or discussion to sit down and talk about, hey, okay, what are our ground rules? What's our understanding about truth? Let's talk about truth-telling. Just having a plain conversation when it's not attached to anything uh, specific in the moment can be really, really helpful. But that's not all this verse says. It says, speak the truth in love. That's how we're to do it, and that makes all the difference. Speaking the truth in love with the goal of becoming closer and helping each other. If you speak the truth without love, it destroys oneness. If you just vomit truth over the other person in a, in a really... Um, in a way that's yelling or doesn't care at all about the person, they will feel that and it will not draw you closer. And also, if you speak love without truth, you say, I love you, I care about you, you are the best, but yet there's, no, there's things you're holding back and there's not truth there, then that gives the illusion of unity, but in reality, it destroys it. So it's so important to start with really examining in your closest relationships, how are you doing at speaking the truth in love? And then the second thing is fight for relational unity, not for personal victory. As Chris said, the goal of marriage is not to be happy, but holy. Um, And unity is the key to this holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. It means to be, you know, different and, and keep growing in the Lord, becoming more like Christ. And what I have found is that for a lot of Christ followers, We think the goal of marriage is not to make me happy, but the goal of marriage is for me to make my spouse happy. And you see it in all the rom-coms, you know, it's like, let me make you the happiest woman in the world. You know, and it's like, so we think that we're supposed to make our spouse happy. And if you think that marriage is to make you happy, you're gonna be very unhappy. But if you think that your goal in marriage is to make your spouse happy, you're gonna be really unhappy because That's not the goal. That's not what you're to do. You're to fight, not for happiness for each other, but for unity, a oneness that is so different from what most people have, that oneness that brings total fulfillment in the Lord and with each other. When Chris and I were on our honeymoon 37 years ago, we were snorkeling in the beautiful turquoise waters of the Caribbean, having a wonderful time, and we said, you know what, we probably though need to have some signals in case we run into trouble. And so Chris said, well, this means shark. If we see a shark, we'll do this. Okay, that's great. And this means stingray. Okay, that's great. And we had several other things, but um, we didn't come up with a signal for barracuda, huge barracuda, because this huge barracuda came up. Usually they're not very big, but there's a huge one in those sharp teeth, and it came up right beside me, and I didn't have a signal for it. 
So I just raised my head up and yelled, Barracuda! And then I started swimming toward the shore as fast as I could go. And I got almost ashore and I looked up and Chris was still there snorkeling because she hadn't heard me and hadn't raised her head. And then she looked up and thought, that's strange. He's all the way back at shore and she swam up and she said, why did you leave? I said, because there was a huge barracuda. She goes, well, why did you leave me then? I said, because I gave you the signal. I yelled, barracuda. And then I took off. And besides, you were a lifeguard. You're a much better swimmer, so you can take care of yourself. So we're letting you into our, our first marital, our first marital argument that just happened within hours of arriving at our honeymoon. And for the last 37 years, she brings that story up at least once a month. I mean, at least once a month. At least once a month. And she uses it as a word picture. That's what she says. Carrie, I'm going to give you a word picture. It's such a good word picture. You have to admit this. She says, I, I, I don't want you to do the barracuda thing on this, okay? I mean, that's what it's come down to. Maybe twice a month she brings it up. I want you to fight in this situation for us, for our unity. I want you to stay in the game. I don't, you, don't want you to withdraw I don't want you to run. I want you to protect me. I want you to fight for us. And so she uses that all the time. Don't well, do the barracuda thing. Whenever I see thing. a Disney movie, it brings it back up for me because, you know, it's supposed to be that the, the princess is in the tower and the knight in shining armor comes and rescues, not that the, they, this they isn't run a, away. <laughs> this, this isn't a fairy tale, honey. This is marriage, you know. But uh, it is a good illustration, and I get the word picture in a big way, that we're to fight for relational unity and not personal victory, and so that means there will be fights, there will be conflict, there will be anger. And once you start telling the truth, then you have anger, you have some conflicts. But Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So it says, in your anger, do not sin. That means anger is not necessarily a sin. In fact, sometimes anger is the most appropriate emotion you can have when you care about a relationship and it's going the wrong direction. It's good to get angry, but it's how you deal with the anger that really makes all the difference. First, don't ignore it. You ought to write this down. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore angry feelings. I say that because a lot of times Christians think they should just stuff it down. They start feeling angry, and then they think, I shouldn't feel this way. This is wrong. No, I need to be more like Jesus. I, I shouldn't feel this way. But even Jesus got angry, and it wasn't sin. And so feelings aren't right and wrong. Feelings are just feelings, and they're not to be ignored. Feelings are meant to be felt, and so you have to express your feelings. When you have angry feelings, you've got to express it. Don't stuff it down because it turns into bitterness. And that's why it says, don't let the sun set on your anger. Because if you let the sun set on that anger, it turns into bitterness. And trouble can lead to treasure, but bitterness will only lead to broken relationships. And Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And so we gotta get rid of bitterness. We can't stuff it down and ignore those feelings but also it says, don't let your anger come out as rage. That's when you vent anger. Some people vent and they just explode, they blow up and that's just as destructive. And so you wanna channel your anger into unity, not victory. 
And you do that by recognizing those demon dialogues that don't get you anywhere, that spiral that takes you down, and you stop it, and then you just admit your feelings. I feel angry because of this. I feel frustrated. I feel hurt. And so you just get it right down to those feelings, and you have the conflict, and you begin to work through it because you know your goal is not to win. Your goal is unity. And I've said many times you can win an argument and lose the relationship. And by the way, next week, it's all about sorry. All about sorry. How how do you really give forgiveness and receive forgiveness? There's so many misconceptions about it, so don't miss next weekend. And the third way is to be willing to die a little in order to live a lot. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. This is hard stuff. This growing in Christ, becoming like Christ, this isn't easy. This is the challenging part. The easy way to do it is to play the blame game, kick the can. We play hide and seek. We do games. We try to avoid ever having conflict, and conflict is the thing that brings growth. So if you want to become like Christ, hey, we want you to know you were made to do hard things. You can do this, but count the cost. It will take effort, but you can end up in a place with a relationship that is closer than you ever dreamed possible, all the more so because of all the things that you have walked through together, the valleys, the things that you have conquered together, and it's so gratifying Carrie and I continue to have these kinds of conversations every single day, even after all these years. Sometimes I think being married for a long time presents its own challenges in that you think you know the other person so well that communication isn't really necessary. I begin to think, well, I know what Carrie would do. I know what Carrie's thinking. Well, the truth is I don't. That doesn't leave any room for growth or change. So this is hard stuff, but you can do it. And Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is talking about our old self, the way we were before Christ in our flesh, where All we want is what's best for me. All I think about is me, that root selfishness that we all have. And that's contrasted with our new self, our new spirit self, the spirit in us that wants more than anything to become like Christ. So every day we're putting on that new self. And it involves dying a little to ourselves, to our own selfish desires every day. But we do that in order to live a lot, to have more full life in this life on earth and also in heaven to come than we ever dreamed possible. But we have to be willing to die a little bit. So growing up and becoming mature in Christ is just this constant laying down of our own desires, our own selfishness, and choosing Christ's way instead of our own, letting go of that selfishness. Now, when you first get married, you think the other person is just wonderful. They're great. Carrie and I have been to a lot of weddings. I've never seen anyone stand at the altar and think, I am marrying such a selfish person. This is who I want to chain myself to the rest of my life. No, you realize they're not perfect, but you don't think that they're really selfish. But yet, it doesn't take very long, and in some cases, just a couple days, 
to find out that the other person actually is thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you. And so you begin... I was praying for you the whole way I was (laughs) swimming. It's like, Lord, please help her. I know she's a great swimmer and you probably don't need to help her. Help me. We won't drag you into this, but we think, hold it. This wonderful person who I thought was so wonderful and also very smart because they picked me after all, well, they're really selfish. I've been duped. This person's really selfish. And about the same time, something else happens. He or she is starting to think that you are actually really selfish and begins to call you out on the selfish things that you're doing. But you conclude that even though maybe I'm a little bit selfish, clearly it is my partner's selfishness that is a much bigger problem here. This is the thing we really need to work on. And then you set in for a lifetime of digging in your heels and trying to change each other. But not change each other because you want them to become like Christ, but change them to become something more convenient for you to live with. And that's the reality of how marriage goes in our selfishness. I mean, all of us are selfish if we let ourselves be, right? That's how marriage goes unless we stop and say, hold it. This is not what we want for our lives. Our lives have a far bigger goal than this. Life is bigger than this. I don't want to waste my life on petty arguments. And not just petty things, but things that actually seem very deep and hurtful I want to learn to become more like Christ. And what's more, I want the person that I love more than anyone in the world, I want them to become more like Christ too. And so together, we turn to God and follow what's in his word. You will find the Bible is so full of practical, practical advice for everything you're going through. So I encourage you with everything in me to if you are not in the practice of reading your Bible every day, to just start just start. The book of John is a great place to start if you haven't read, uh, been reading in the Bible before. Start in the book of John and just read a chapter a day and see what God shows you. Or this week you could read Ephesians chapter 4. You could start in Psalms. There are a lot of places, but we encourage you to start. You'll see that trouble is a great opportunity. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in our closest relationships, that should be our goal. If you're a Christian, your true self really wants to die to your flesh and your selfishness and your pride and really fight for unity and really live, but yet you still have your flesh. And that's so important for us to understand that in in this world, we still have the flesh and it just craves what it craves. And so we have to die to that flesh. In Ephesians 4.18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now focus on that phrase, darkened in their understanding. It's almost like they have a shadow that is over them where they can't see the amazing gift of deep emotional, relational connection that God wants in a relationship. You see, for every one of God's great gifts, our enemy Satan has a shadow gift, a counterfeit that just leaves you empty and it's destructive. And when it comes to 
God's great and amazing gift of sex. God created sex, of course, for procreation, but also for pleasure, for intimacy, and for oneness in the marriage relationship. But Satan has a shadow gift, and his shadow gift is lust. And lust is all about taking and not about giving. Lust and pornography, which are so prevalent in our culture today, and it's just a shadow gift because pornography is intimacy that's really a false intimacy. It's really the pleasure without any real connection. And so it becomes self-indulgence, which is always self-destructive and addictive. All self-indulgence becomes self-destructive and addictive, and it leaves you even more empty. And that's because it's a shadow gift. It's not real and deep emotional connection. It's just a facade. So don't settle for the shadow. And by the way, pornography is kind of the elephant in the room in church today because studies show that over 50% of Christian men struggle with pornography and a lot of Christian women struggle with pornography today. And I say that not to you know, bring guilt, but to help. Not to heap guilt, but to help because there's so much help You know, we have our restoration ministry, which is amazing at Woodland Church. We have our counseling ministry, which is, I mean, the best that I've ever seen. It's just unbelievable what God is doing in our counseling ministry. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have so much help for you to break free from these shadow gifts that are destructive and leave us empty. So fighting for unity in the marriage relationship takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of truth. But what's it worth to you to make every effort? You see, a deep and close and amazing marriage takes work, a lot of work. It also takes time. A lot of people don't understand that when they first get married. It takes time to start really developing that emotional and spiritual oneness that goes along with that physical oneness. It takes time. It's like the guy who stood up at his 20th wedding anniversary, and he said, I'd just like to thank my wife for seven amazing years of marriage. It takes time. You know, it it takes time to get it right and to start really, really having that oneness and that closeness. And so what have you done about the problem? What have you done about that problem between parent and teenager. What have you done about that problem in your marriage? Some of you say, well, I went to counseling once and it it didn't solve anything and it was expensive. What is it worth to you to make every effort? What are you doing about the problem? Are you just kicking the can? God wants in this series to bring some amazing breakthroughs. I believe that with all my heart. Chris and I are praying for huge breakthroughs in every close relationship because God's plan is treasure. And he allows the trouble because he cares enough about you that he wants you to have treasure. He doesn't want you to settle for a superficial relationship. He wants to take you deeper to find that treasure that is there. So if you're having trouble in a relationship, that's God's love. Saying don't settle for where you're at, I wanna take you deeper. I want you to experience that true fulfillment. And that leads us to the fourth thing, make room for hope. You may be thinking, I don't think you understand what I'm going through because this just isn't going to work for me because things are so messed up in my life and in my relationships, I just don't see a way out. 
And we want you to know if you are thinking, I just can't do this on my own, you're right. You can't do it on your own. But you know what? You don't have to. The Bible tells us clearly that God knows and he understands everything that we go through. And that's why he gave us a gift, the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, and he could do anything through you in his power. In John 14, 26, it says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, and he'll teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So just as a young aeronautics student always has an experienced pilot sitting right there in the cockpit with them, just as a student teacher always has an experienced educator in the room with them as they learn, just as a young doctor, newly minted, always is under someone else, an experienced doctor in residency to learn and practice how to do this, God gave us the Holy Spirit, and he is in you and at work in you, if you're a follower of Christ, to navigate these relationship issues with you. He will give you the strength. He will give you the words. All you have to do is take that first step. Say, God, I need you. I do want my relationships to look more like what you had planned. I do long for unity. Lord, show me how to do it. And then just wait and see how he works in your life. The way we grow spiritually, the process is the same as how we grow physically, which is day by day by day. It's not one, a one-time thing. We aren't born as a baby and then one day wake up and we're an adult. No, it's a day by day growth. It's the culmination of a thousand little decisions. And spiritual growth is the same way. But we encourage you, we invite you to join us in this journey of becoming more like Christ every day together. Make room for hope as we start this series. Some of you just feel like you're in a relationship that's hopeless, and that's okay if you just make a little bit of room for God, a little bit of room for God to do something miraculous during this time. Make room for hope. Don't settle for superficiality. Make room for hope. And I know some of you, you know, you've made room for hope, but you have a spouse who just won't wake up. Uh, they just keep doing their own thing or they just keep being unfaithful and sometimes you gotta just shut the door completely because that's the only hope to wake them up. But yet, there's hope. Open up the door of hope just a little bit in your relationship and let the light of God's hope come in at least to heal your heart and God can do that because he cares about you. And some of you have gone through so much relationship pain, so much hurt, you have so many wounds, but God can heal those. Let the light of his hope bring healing to you. I want us to bow together as we kick off this series. Lord, I pray for every married couple in our church that you would just help every one of us make every effort, Lord, and that you, Lord, would bring hope, that you would wake spouses up, Lord, to really see the damage that is done when we're selfish, when we do what we want. Lord, wake spouses up, Lord, to see that. I pray that you would bring healing and hope in marriages. I pray for those marriages that are doing good but are just kind of on a superficial level that you would bring trouble so that trouble can take them, Lord, to treasure.
And Lord, I know there's so many that are having trouble right now that you would just let them see that trouble as your love for them, that you don't want them to settle, but you want them to go deeper, Lord, in their connection and find true fulfillment. I pray, Lord, that you would just do miracles in close relationships between parents and children and parents and teenagers, that you would just do miracles, Lord Jesus, in close friendships, and, and you would just bring healing, Lord, like never before at Woodlands Church, healing these deep emotional hurts and wounds and bringing brokenness into beauty, that you would just bring relationships together. And I pray for those who've never come into a relationship with you, that they would just say, Jesus Christ, I need you. I need you to save me and to heal me and forgive me of all my sins. I need you to take me to heaven one day. I accept your free gift of salvation. Be my Lord. Help me grow to become more like you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life and really, Without Christ, it's impossible to build a relationship on spiritual oneness and emotional oneness. And you need Jesus in your close relationships. And so that's really the start. Um, and now we're at the point where we give back to God some of what he's given us. It's our offering time. And as you know, with church, we don't pass the baskets. But the way you give is you take out your smartphone. So take out your smartphone. And uh, we got the Woodland Church app you can go to to give. You can also... Text the word GiveWC, one word GiveWC to 77977, or you can go to wc.org slash give. If you're home, go on your computer, wc.org slash give, and you can set up recurrent giving, or you can mail in your check, or you can give at our um, boxes on the way out of our campuses, but just make sure you give. Put God first. Whatever area you want God to bless you in, you put him first. You want him to bless your marriage, put him first. If you wanted to bless your finances, put him first. If you wanted to bless your schedule, put him first. If you wanted to bless your week, put him first. And that's what you're doing, being here at church. And so let's put God first in our finances and pray for God to use it and multiply it as we're making a difference in thousands, really millions of lives in our area and around the world, stretching through our over 100 ministries to make such an impact. And by the way, this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. is our Ash Wednesday service. Isn't that amazing? We kick off the Lenten season, and so weather permitting, we'll be here at 7 p.m. Wednesday night. Um, if not, then um, I'll be here preaching a message to you, and you can connect online. And we're going to have an amazing Ash Wednesday service to really get ready for the Lenten season and prepare hearts for Easter. Uh, next weekend, it's all about sorry. We're gonna have the game, sorry, and we're gonna learn what forgiveness really is and what it's not. So don't miss that. Let's stand, Woodland Church, and let's sing to the Lord, and let's thank him for his love for us. All you have to do really is take the next step, and God opens the door. Take the next step, whatever that is, and God will open the door. And by the way, for some of you, the next step is baptism. And we're having our super winter baptism right after this service. And it's really awesome because we heated the baptistry pool out there to 95 degrees. You're not going to want to get out. That's the sad thing. Uh, but uh, our dressing rooms are here in the back, and all we want you to do if you're getting baptized is right after service, come up here. Our pastors will be down here to help you. And um, if you didn't bring a change of clothes, we got clothes to fit every size. We got everything you need. We'll be back here sharing with you about baptism, then take you outside and to the baptism pool 
and it shows that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. He's alive in your life to make all the difference in your life. So don't miss that opportunity. And let's sing to the Lord and let's thank him. Whatever that next step is, you take it this week and don't hold back because God has a purpose and a plan for every problem and God wants to use that trouble to take you to treasure. Let's praise him. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.